With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Talking Cleveland.com's podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Here, as always, with Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Terry, it's your favorite week of the year, NFL Combine Week. Yes. <laughs> no, I know. It's a, they, what do they call it? The beginning of the silly season, right? <laughs> I mean, but, it is a ahead. great PR move by the NFL. Because normally spring training is just starting to get going. And what do you get? Combine. And How they this guy's hand. And they are allowing fans to attend the workouts this year. So every year they keep adding to it. This could be the last year for Indianapolis. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, which is too bad. It's been a good a good run there. But uh, we did get to hear from Andrew Barry today. And um, before we get into that, Terry, I did want to mention we have a ton of people there covering this from Cleveland.com. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, Nathan Baird is covering Ohio State angles. Doug Lee Maurice, columnist, and Hayden Grove is also there doing social media. But um, you heard Andrew Barry today. What did you think of what you had, what you heard from him? And he's always very guarded. We know that going in. But did you take anything out of what you heard today? Uh, the only thing of interest where I thought he actually might have said something um, where there was a bit of a question is he gave a pretty strong uh, endorsement of J.C. Treader. You know, his contract is uh, he's under contract next year for seven point nine million cash and it counts like nine point eight on the cap. There was some discussion on whether they would let him walk or not because the cap figure is high. But I wanted them to keep him. And just because you have Nick Harris behind him. They had enough injuries on the offensive line to know that you keep running out of guys. So I'd rather, and Treader's only missed the one game since he signed here in 17, and that was a COVID test thing. So he's, even though he he's kind of like Joe Thomas at the tail end of his career, you don't get much out of him in practice because his knees and everything are bad, but he does play. And that's a key part. So um, he pretty much said that, he expects them to continue to play at a high level. So that sounded good. Whereas with Jarvis, um, he was much more guarded. And I think the reason being, they're not going to pick up Jarvis's $16 million option. That's a question of, uh, can they find a way to sign him for less money? Would Jarvis want to? All that kind of stuff. So the um, going back to what he had to say about Andrew, I mean, about Baker Mayfield, and we've talked about this, right? That they're fine with things carrying on for the 2022 season, letting Baker just ride out this contract and see how he does, right? That's that's where sure. you're at, and 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 you've said all along you're fine with that. That there's no rush on the Browns side of things. But if you're Baker Mayfield, are you okay with the way things are right now in terms of them? I mean, or does he have a choice? I mean, no, he doesn't have a choice. But oh, well, right. Basically, whether you're Baker, you know, you're okay with it or not. Quit throwing interceptions and getting the ball batted down. I mean, I just let's get for real here. Uh, you could talk about you were played hurt and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's correct. But you also kept pushing to go out there. Um, you know, this is not just, you're getting $19 million and, you know, go earn it. I just got done. I was working on some notes right before we went on the air and I checked uh, the five, co- five quarterbacks were eligible for extensions from that draft in 2018. Um, well, of course, two of them aren't even with the same team, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. 
And then the other three are Baker, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. Only one, ja- only uh, Josh Allen signed an extension. I don't know what's going on with Lamar Jackson, but uh, I haven't heard one word about an extension there. So it's possible they may ride out next year with him too on a one year. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm guessing that Lamar Jackson thing gets done really sooner rather than later. They don't want to let it go on too long. You wouldn't think. I would. You wouldn't think, but yeah. you don't know. I mean, for a while, he had fired his agent and his family was handling the negotiations. Now, I don't know if that's changed. And perhaps that's why there's been a delay. But also, I'm just simply saying it's there's only been one guy got an extension. And when you give the history of Garoppolo getting one and uh, Wentz getting one, Goff getting one, and I think all the teams that gave those guys the long-term extensions probably regret it. Uh, there was another reason to be hesitant with Baker. Yeah, cautionary tales around the league. There's no doubt about that. So remember this, David. Quarterbacks always get paid, even like mediocre quarterbacks. You know, get eight or nine million dollars to be backups or semi-starters or whatnot. Right. So if you're to look at this draft, everything that I'm seeing is that this is going to be a big trade down draft. I mean, th- there's mm-hmm. a lot of the reports are there's not much difference between number 15 in this draft and number 50. And Andrew Barry saying, uh, you know, he's asked today, is there any kind of player you're looking for to add to your wide receiver room? And he basically said, we're going to prioritize opportunity, which is the yeah. quintessential Andrew Barry quote. But uh, you've been writing that you would like to see the Browns take a pass rusher with their first pick, even as high as number 13. Why don't you talk about the logic behind that and, and kind of where you're coming from and why a pass rusher would be such a valuable addition. I'm basing this on draft gurus, such as especially I like Dane Brugger quite a bit. Granted, he's a kind of a hometown guy he's from Warren and also uh, went to Mount union, but he's highly respected. He's with the athletic now. Um, uh, and, you know, some of our people, what we've been writing too, Scott, Pasco, and others, I mean, there's a lot of good pass rushers in this draft. So if there's a lot of good pass rushers in the draft and you're going to need a pass rusher, I, I'm just not ready to go all in big long-term contract on Jadavian Clowney. Now, nobody's been willing to do that the last four years, but somebody might now, and certainly his agent's going to push for it after the season he had with the Browns. It makes more sense for me if you could think you could get one of these guys and just stick them in there next to uh, Miles for less money, and he's probably uh, get, get a excuse me get a chance to be healthier. Um, then I do it, and you can get receivers second or third round. So that's my feeling on it. Whereas they suppose, suppose like some of these um, some of these people had you know four receivers in the top fifteen. Then I might feel differently on that, you know. But I, it isn't that often you see that so many edge rushers rated that high. Maybe it's because there's a lack of talent in other areas. But I want one. All right, you've made your case. The uh, the pieces are going to start to come together pretty quickly league wide here. I mean, this week at the combine is where a lot of seeds are planted for things mm-hmm. that happen later. I mean, if your Browns fans will remember. The OBJ trade kind of started at the combine that year when it happened. Yeah, when um, John Dorsey held up his cell phone and told the Giants to call it. Remember that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we happened. Won't get that from Andrew Barry, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's going to be a little bit more behind closed doors, I would say, in yeah. terms of what the Browns will be doing this time around. But if you look at um, the way pieces are coming together, you've got not only the draft stuff, but also the Browns are going to be meeting with agents and mm-hmm. Jarvis Landry. I've been really interested in the number 8 million, Terry. Like we talked about, like what would Jarvis Landry come back for? And it seems like you've come down on this 8 million number that's kind of sticking a little bit. Uh, why 8 million and what would it mean for the Browns in terms of getting him back at that number and what it would mean to the young receivers that they probably plan to bring in? Well, I try to put myself in the position of another team and Jarvis is a free agent. Going long-term is no way I'm doing that. 16 million, not even close. 8 million with some incentives? Sure. So if I was another team and that's what I would pay, that's what I would pay him. I mean, I've heard some people say, you know, kind of like the the anti, the pro Jarvis anti Baker. Well, they're paying Baker Mayfield 19 million. I mean, they should be able to pick up the 16 million. Well, I, so you got one injured player, you're paying maybe too much for it. So you, let's do it again. I mean, that that's not 
one of those things. Like the NFL is a business and that's how it, it works. And players know when they sign those four or five year contracts that that last year or two, that's not guaranteed. Uh, the odds of you getting that full amount are less than 50, 50. And we saw that with Jack Conklin, he turned his yeah. non-guaranteed deal. Speaking of 8 million, right? Yep. Jack Conklin went back and renegotiated and got 8 million guaranteed plus incentives. Kind of, it's kind of a similar thing to what Clowney uh, had last season where it's a, it's an around an 8 million. And then there's mm-hmm. uh, incentives for, for, you know, whatever stats people yeah, get. Yeah, I mean, there, so. probably got stuff in there for for uh, snaps played, you know, what percentage of snaps. You know, Clowney had sacks, and he also had some stuff in there, I think, for uh, games or snaps played, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, he wanted to get out there for that last Bengals game because there was a bunch of money on the line, even though the game meant nothing for him. So those are the type of things. That's why I kind of came up with that. And I came up with that actually before I'd written it before before the the Conklin thing came down, and then I saw the Browns did that. So I'm probably thinking something like that too. Now I don't know what Jarvis is thinking, but uh, if I'm guaranteed eight million to stay in Cleveland and I'm coming off the year I had like that, um, you probably should think about it. And also, if I were the Browns, I would put a, a timetable on this. It would not be we're going to just wait. Because I'm going to give it, it's almost like I'm going to give $8 million to somebody. And, uh, you know, teams have to be, players have to be careful. Remember the year the Browns offered like Terrell Pryor or something like $32 million for four. And I think it's $20 million guaranteed or something. And he went out on the open market and it was pretty cold out there. And he ended up signing like a one-year contract for $5 million with somebody or other. And it really torpedoed his career. Now, this is different because there isn't a long-term uh, value, but he also puts in p- position, you know, if you're here, there's no Odell. If you're healthy, regardless of who's the quarterback, you know, you're going to get a lot of balls thrown to you. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, and we talked about this last week, is if if Jarvis Landry is going to make $8 million plus incentives, would he rather make it here or would he rather make it somewhere else? Where, you just have to make sure you can get it somewhere else, that's all. Right, right. If So all things being equal, and I know last week you said you don't anticipate him returning. Um, yeah. there, there might be another team, there, one of the other 31 teams might give him $8 million. And as you said, and, and, and at the uh, combine, that should be his jo- agent's job to have all those conversations they're not supposed to have. Yeah. Well, speaking of agents and people having conversations, um, David Njoku is getting a lot of buzz from Browns fans these last couple of weeks. And it seems like his stock is rising in a pretty significant way. And people are realizing that with uh, an improved passing game and some deep threats, that might open up David Njoku for the kind of year that people think he could have had from the time the Browns drafted him. Where do you stand with David Njoku and, and how much would you see him going for and uh, good move for the Browns to bring him back. That, I think that's probably where most people would be. I don't know, David. I mean, I'm like really lukewarm on the guy. Um, I just, you know, is he going to be a guy that you're forever talking about his potential or will he suddenly break out? But I think Mary Kay wrote about $10 million a year for him. I don't, I just, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't go that high. I mean, I would because... rather. I just don't think he's that good consistently. It's just, I could be wrong. You know, it's not. I mean, basically, guys like Najoka look good at the combine. They look like a player. You put him on all those tests. He's going to test out high athletically. Um, now, Andrew Barry likes him. He was part of the front office that took him. A year ago, remember, he picked up the option when it was, looked like Njoku's stock was way down. And I thought Njoku was just okay last year. I don't, I'm just, just not enamored. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm like on it. the other side of the fence on this, Terry. I got to say, like, when, when, so there's been all the drama with he wanted to be traded. He didn't want to. I don't come care about back. that. Yeah, I think that's all water under the bridge at this point. But the thing about Njoku that, that has impressed me is, he was not a very good blocker when mm-hmm. he came into the league and you pair someone who's not a great blocker with 
an offense that is geared on the running game and the tight end being able to block. And I just didn't think it was a good fit when Kevin Stefanski came in. But if you watched him the last couple of years, he's developed into a pretty good blocker. I mean, he's not great, but he's getting the job done more than some other guys on this team are in certain situations. And I think his blocking has really made him a more attractive option for the Browns than he would have been three years ago, let's say when he was younger, but he's kind of learned what it means to play the position for this team. And I think the Browns might reward him for that. Yeah. I think, you know, if I had to bet, I would bet you and Mary Kay are correct. He's going to get one of those contracts for eight to 10 million a year uh, over several years. And maybe he will uh, there. And I will give him credit for improving his blocking, but I just, People talk about him like he's a looming star. Not you, but I've heard that. I just don't see that. And you, you don't even see it if the Browns get some deep threats who can stretch the field and, and loosen things up underneath. Uh, you think that he is what he's going to be, is what you're really saying. A really good athletic tight end makes plays almost regardless. He just does. That's my feeling. Because usually that ball, you know, the, those balls thrown, those tight ends and the seams over the middle, that's almost open all the time when the guy's bigger, because usually he's got a linebacker on him or maybe a safety, but often a linebacker and I, and he should be open. That's true. Well, we'll see. It's going to be a curious uh, month here. The uh, league season mm-hmm. starts in the middle of March. I want to say the 16th, if I can remember the date correctly. And that's uh, things will be heating up going into that a couple of days before the start of the league years. When, uh, what do they call it? Legal tampering? Is that what it's called? Yeah, legal tampering and and all and, that'll be. And you know, all the stuff. I remember like the once trade a year ago leaked out and, um, way before that. So boy, did his stock fall too the last few weeks of his season. I mean, yep. for a while, Indianapolis was just just fine with them. And now basically, they're, they're, they make no pretense. We're trading them. They basically have said, sometimes that's your other thing to do instead of like, you know, like the Browns, for example, Baker's their guy until he's not. That's how you're going to hear. You know, he's the guy. He's their quarterback. All this until one day they decide he's not, assuming they do. Uh, whereas I think that Indiana has decided we're just let's just run an auction. Let's just put him out. Let's be public. Put it out there and see what we can get because there's no way we're coming back with him. Yeah, they always talk about a meteoric rise. That was a meteoric fall. So, yeah. but this is going mean, this you think about it, Terry. This is going to be one of the most interesting Browns off seasons we've mm-hmm. seen in years. There's so much hanging out there and so much to be decided in terms of who's back, who's gone. It's going to affect the draft. Uh, it's it's just really going to be just fascinating to watch who the Browns keep and who they let go. So, all right, let's take a break, Terry. Um, when we come back, we will talk some Cavaliers. I know you want to talk some Kent State basketball. We have the MAC tournament uh, coming next week. It's yeah. going to be down at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, as always. Always a good time down there. And we will talk um, some Hey Terry questions. We've got some good ones this week. And do some Terry's trivia. We will be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk some Cavaliers here. Cavs are 36 and 25, fifth place in the East. It's amazing how tight things are. They're four and a half games out of first behind Miami, but they're also two and a half games out of a playing spot. So what do they say in uh, college football? Every game counts. I mean, the Cavs are really in a position where every game counts right now, and it's going to be a fun last, what, 21 games, and then – See how the playoffs shake out, but uh, really, I hope the fact the regular season means something. I really don't know when's the last time a Cavs regular season meant anything. Because when LeBron was here, even the first year, it was the regular season was interesting to see how he would look and how he'd fit in. But there was no doubt about them making the playoffs. And before that, the two pre-LeBron or the LeBron rebuild years. They had no interest in making the playoffs. None. It was all about ping pong balls for the four years that he was gone the first time and then came back. And then the first, the last three years before this year. So I'm enjoying this, that the games do matter. Yeah. And it's been fun for the, fa- the for the fans too. And they're going crazy down there. They really are just, it's almost like, you know, it's their favorite high school team. They're just trying to, <laughs> they're trying to push them over the finish line. It's, it's cool. 
Yeah, well, they might need a little help getting over the fi- the finish They're line with the way things are going. Yeah. yeah, so let's run through the injuries real quick. So uh, Dylan Windler, of course, has been just battling injuries from the time he was drafted. Colin Sexton, of course, out for the year with his knee. And right now, guys who will be coming back, some sooner, some later, Rajon Rondo with his right toe sprain, Karis LeVert, right foot sprain, and then Darius Garland with this uh, low back soreness. It seems like back spasms is what he has going on. How are the Cavs going to bruise too? some sort of bruise thing? So I don't quite. And they're being very quite... careful with it. So how are they yeah. going to how are they going to keep this thing together and 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 keep moving forward and keep winning games and keep, you know, they don't want to end up in a play in situation. There's no, no doubt. You don't. I mean, the, I'll tell you this for all the talk about they don't have enough guards and all that stuff. They scored one hundred twenty two the other night and gave up one hundred twenty seven. If you're going to give up one hundred twenty seven points. Forget it. This team's going nowhere. If they think they're going to get into games like they did in that game where they made a bunch of shots early and then just figured we're just going to run and gun all night, uh, forget it. That's not the Cavs. So that's why it's imperative. They got to do more like winning 92 to 88 like they did against Washington than how they played against Minnesota. So this is going to be on Bickerstaff to really just go after them about the defense and play it that way, play at a slower pace. So when you talk defense, it's not just the guys around the rim. It's perimeter. It's everybody yes. working together. What, From what you saw last night, they gave up a ton of threes. Do you think that this defense can be solved with the personnel that they have with all these guys out of the lineup? Is it a matter of, of slowing the tempo down and trying to keep the score down? Like, what, what do they do here to avoid giving up 127 points? Well, I like I do like slowing the tempo down some. I just do because you're not a run and gun team. And if the Cavs were better at, you know, what they call the secondary fast break, in other words, where they get it out and run and then they kind of wait for a big guy to come down and get good position, inside position, kind of on a semi fast break against a smaller guy. If they were better at that, I'd like to see that. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, here's Chetty Osmond. He's got the ball. He's going through three guys and throwing it up off the shot clock, trying to knock it in, you know, or, or things like that. That's not them. Or somebody just taking up, you know, off balance three. Uh, I do think as marketing gets stronger on that ankle and better, he's already been impressive, but the defense will get better around the rim with them and jumping out on guys. So, uh, but it, this is the time of year. They're playing like a game almost every other night this month, if you look in March at the schedule. So that's where it's just it's a matter of the mental discipline and toughness to do it. And it may mean you play Lamar Stevens more. You have to play some of these more guys off the bench who are just more defensive oriented. Uh, Dwayne, uh, Dean Wade is not you know super athletic, but he'll go after a guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got some height, that kind of stuff. The tough thing, I, I know the Cavs were thinking about this after. Uh, the all-star break, they were going to give Garland a game or two to kind of let the back settle down. By the way, I want to say this. Had Garland sat out some games before the all-star break, I would feel much different about him playing in the all-star game. But he played, I believe, three of the last four. In the last two games, he had 27 and 30 points. So he was out there really trying. And so this he, was a bone of contention, Terry. There were a lot of fans who were yeah. saying the Cavs should have not let him do the all-star stuff, and they were pretty strong on it that they felt fine with it because of what you said, that he had played going into the all-star break, and yes. they were good with it. And, and I that's where you're at with it. I would be at them with them if all of a sudden, what, he doesn't want to play in the regular season, but he plays in the all-star game. And the fact is, I think it was Mike Yanzi told Chris Feeder, I mean, look, nobody touches you in the all-star game. I mean, it's one step above shooting around your backyard. I mean, really, yeah. What do you say? It's like horse, is what he's. I think. Yeah, it's like horse and and the skills and just. I mean, that's why I can't watch the All Star game for like five minutes because I'm just offended by the whole thing, you know. But I was, if I was a kid, I'd love it, you know, all the dunks and the stars. So that part wasn't it, and you know, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with his back and bone bruises and things, but I don't fault them for that because. Backs are tricky, and he did play, and he was productive. But what the plan was going to be, David, was they really worked a lot with Levert kind of on film work and all that stuff during the All-Star break. They wanted to incorporate him quickly. So the idea being, let's rest Darius, whose back is 
cranky right now anyway for a week. Let, let, let's get Levert in there. He goes 30, 30 some minutes. And we learn how to play with him. He learns how to play with us. But of course, he steps on a guy's foot in the first practice before, uh, or the last practice before the uh, the game starts, and he's out. So there goes that plan. Yeah. I will give you this: Brandon Goodwin's playing his butt off. He really is. Yeah. So last night, Brandon Goodwin, um, it was his first career double double. Monday night, he had 17 points and 12 assists, and that was kind of surprising for a I lot mean, of people. To my point, if I were to tell you before that game, Brandon Goodwin would go for 17 and 12. The Cavs would score 122 points. What do you think would have happened? That they would have won. Easily. Yep. But that, see, that highlights the other part. You know, I was, um, this morning I had a mini debate on um, WTAM because I do that. I'm on there uh, at 6.45 a.m. on Tuesdays and Fridays with Mike Snyder. And Mike's like, well, they're making turnovers and this and that leads to the, the guards with the turnovers and that leads to some of the points. I just said, not 127. It's just, yeah, that's, that's a big that number. number to me on a team that I believe 22 times this year has held a team under 100 points. You know, that's a staggeringly big number. And now Minnesota wants to run and they want to score. And so that's hard how they want to play. But I always thought, and I think Hubie Brown told me this a long time ago, you know, the legendary coach and the broadcaster, that the NBA often is a test of wills over tempo. Yeah, especially if your tempo is different than that guy's tempo. You know, one team often wants to play faster than the other. And you want to play that your tempo that's the most comfortable for you. But do you have the discipline to do it? Especially if you want to play slower and that other team wants to play basketball, which is a lot more fun for most players. It's like a boxing match where you try and tire the opponent up and let him throw all of his punches early, right? And, yes. And then you come, yeah. yeah. Can you take it? Can you take yeah. the punches without you firing right back at them? You know, the haymakers there. But the problem for two, with if you want to run a down gun with the Cavs, even though Allen and Mobley are athletic and so is marketing, you're still leaving them behind some. You're just leaving them behind. That's why that score being lower plays into the Cavs' hands and yes. winning the battle of tempo, and, right? And then it frustrates the team that likes to run. They get You watched what happened in that Washington game. They were very frustrated by the end of it. And we've seen – that's why a lot of the times this season we have seen the Cavs hold teams under 20 points in the fourth quarter. They frustrate them. Yeah, and, and t- teams have talked about how frustrating it is to play against the Cavs. If the team the Cavs are playing is not frustrated, you know it's not going the way they want. Yeah, it's not the way you yeah. want it to play. Yep. So the um, I wanted to get your thoughts real quick, Terry. The I think this is an interesting concept that the Cavs came up with. J.B. Bickerstaff came up with this Junkyard Dog Award. Mm-hmm. Did you see this the other night? It's basically a sure. chain with a giant C, and they brought it to – they went to Jared. Isn't that their motto for the jewelry yeah, store? Right. He went to Jared. Yeah, but you know how it is when you get into February and March of an NBA season. There's road trips, and you're getting kind of ground down yeah, from the months of travel. And it's kind of a cool thing, and I, I'm, I'm curious to see – like I want to see like a ceremony when they hand this thing out because a lot of time a lot of hockey teams do this where they give out a like a wrestling belt or a boxing belt mm-hmm. to the player of the game, and I'm thinking that this is meant to reward you know best scrappy defensive yeah. minded player Isaac Okoro got it the first night they gave it out. Uh, any do you think this, this is a good idea, right? Obviously, yes. And you know Dennis Gates does it with Cleveland State the Shield, Viking the, the, Shield the, of uh, Viking Shield. Yeah, he's yeah. got there and. You know, Trey Gomillion or Deontay Johnson or whatever. And and he he his coaches are so paranoid. So I said, Dennis, well, what all goes into that? Well, I can't tell you everything. You know, it's not just <laughs> rebounds or whatever, but that's a deflection. Yeah, that's in there, but they got all this other stuff. Fine, whatever it is, and you get the shield. Well, I'm sure the chaos have their own, you get the chain. And you want to reward, you know, you want to reward a coro or or say Dean Wade goes out there and really plays well defensively. Or, you know, Allen has an extraordinary game against a top-notch center. You know, Allen really did a good job on on Anthony Towns uh, last night. He did. Uh, So those are things that you want done. And furthermore, I would say, like, one of the things that I would enter into 
that award is like when a guard loses his man and that man is driving to the rim and then here comes Mobley or Allen to try and block the shot. Well, then who's going to cover Mobley or Allen's man? You know, the second switch. That guy, if he consistently does it, give him the chain. <laughs> You're in the chain. It's 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 funny, too, to see this. You think, oh, these guys are making millions of dollars. They're professional mm-hmm. athletes. They care about this stuff. Right. Like, they, they care who gets the chain. Like, it's, it's, it's something fun, and I think it earns, like, a measure of respect after every game. Right, cause it, and it plays into the identity he's been trying to build from day one with this team. Uh, so that's, you know, and, and any other things that, you know, you could, you could come up with. I mean, the quarterback taking offensive linemen out to eat. What, they can't afford their own supper? No, it's the idea of like, no, you guys protected me. You know, steak and beer is on me. Let's go. And so that's, it. you're correct. I mean, we're still all people. I mean, why is it that, um, I mean, the age range probably listening to this or anywhere from somebody in their teens to somebody in their 80s, maybe, or 70s. Why do we care about the chain? Because it's fun. It's part of what the sports is. Yeah, and how long before we see the entire crowd wearing dog masks like at Browns games over yeah, at the Cavs exactly. games? Exactly. Why do they grab onto that? You remember, my thing forever is always that you know, sports is a great diversion from real life. It is not real life. It's real life to those who are involved in it. But to those of us who follow it and that it's like periodically I'll answer an email from fans. Do not let the millionaires ruin your day because guess what? You won't ruin theirs. And, <laughs> you know, because you're mad will not ruin theirs. Uh, and obviously it's more fun when teams are winning or, that but i want to uh i like i like that kind of stuff i don't want gimmicks for everything but i remember when dennis gates showed up with that shield and they're another team you know defense is their thing and that and it's like yes but remember some of those guys on cleveland state are just as old or older than the guys playing for the cavaliers crazy to think about isn't it yeah because they guys guys in their fourth and fifth year i yep. mean if you go all right let's real quick on the cavaliers right now Garland should be in his senior year at Vanderbilt. Okoro should be in his junior year at Auburn. Finally, Jared Allen would be out and be in the NBA. Mobley should be in his sophomore year at USC. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some others, but of their core player in marketing, he finally would be out. He's 24. He's the old man. <laughs> Allen's old 23. Yep. I Cleveland State as a kid, uh, Algervon Eichelberger, who's been there forever, he just got his MBA. I think he's like 25. Yeah, with the COVID year. Yeah, he got the COVID year. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he blew out his knee, so he was on the team but didn't play this year, but he's still there. But he he had a COVID year. He had a red shirt, medical red shirt, and he just kept going to school, and now he's got an MBA. So he's set either way. Whatever he wants to do, go keep with the basketball Going to NBA stuff. Who knows? He'll, be our, he'll be our boss soon at, at Cleveland.com. You never know. Never, never All know. right, Terry. So the Junkyard Dog Award will be up for grabs tomorrow night when the Cavs play at home against Charlotte. That's a 7 o'clock tip on Wednesday night. We're taping this on Tuesday. Then real interesting game Friday. The Cavs are at the Sixers. That's a 7 mm-hmm. o'clock tip. That's going to be a real interesting one. Sunday, they're back home against Toronto at 7.30. And then Tuesday, they're on the road at Indiana at 7. So it's, like you said, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, every other night. Every other night. It's something like 50, 15 games in 32 days or something like that that they were starting. Yeah, I mean, this is the rhythm now that they've really tried to eliminate is the back-to-backs as often as they can. So mm-hmm. this is kind of what it has turned it does, into. It does help as somebody who um, – Here's the old guy talking, but who did travel the NBA when they weren't quite as, I mean, I remember even three games in a row at times, and that was just brutal. And especially if you're going from city to city, it just, even just covering it, I I remember I used to hear these guys complaining, but I began to get it. You know, you do, I was, you know, I make enough mistakes on my own without being really tired, not knowing what city I'm in. And I'm sure some of the players felt the same way especially if you're demanding them to play defense and to do the little things that we're talking about to get the chain. That's right. Yeah. You always think the game you're going to, you shouldn't see any players who aren't hustling or aren't playing hard. And it's like, these guys have to go every night in the planes. And yeah, I I think it's better 
that they're able to go every other night yes, like this. It, right. it used to be three three games in four nights, yeah, four games oh, in six nights. Time. Yeah. It's just I, mean, it's, I remember, you know, six six games in nine days in six different cities. Jeez. You know, it was just and it would usually end in Utah. That's why I remember that. And the Jazz are sitting there and you knew that game was going to be like 120 to 81 because they were the Cavs are ready to go home and you know Stockton and Malone and those guys are ready to go and the fans in Utah are they're just called Cavs fans when they get really riled up they are loud and they are fun and it was a horrible place to play with Jerry Sloan who by the way demanded he wanted to give them all chains because that's how they played back in that day and to an extent Quinn Snyder's got them playing somewhat like that too they're tough defensively so. Yeah, the fans have always been just nuts out there. So makes a long makes for a long plane ride yes. home. You lose. So all right, Terry. Speaking of uh, basketball, let's get to Kent State. So the Mid American Conference tournament will be in Cleveland next week, running through the weekend. Uh, it ends on the night before Selection Sunday, which is a week from Saturday. Kent State they're in, tied for second place in the league. Uh, Toledo's in first at 15 and three, and then there's three teams with four losses. We've got Ohio. You at 14 and four, Kent State at 14 and four, and then Buffalo's got a couple of games to make up their 12 and four. Um, you're writing about Kent State this week. What have you learned about the Golden Flashes and kind of what their hopes are for the MAC tournament? Yeah, I'm writing about them for Sunday, and you know the the hook on it. Well, they they they've gone into um, Tuesday night's game in a 10 game winning streak, which is their longest in, since uh, 2002 when they went to the Elite Eight. But the interesting thing is how they added sincere carry the Solon star Ohio player of the year uh, who transferred from Duquesne to Kent in the middle of last year, sat out and he's just changed the whole dynamic there. I mean, this guy's among, among the best players in the Mac. Uh, and as a uh, Rob sender off the coach, there's in his 11th year, Rob told me that, uh, by the way, they've had, I think it's 25 consecutive winning seasons. Now it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, but he said that, uh, our backcourt is unique. They have a kid named Malik Jacobs. They have a 6'2 guard, at least a team in rebounding, a seven and a half rebounds. And then uh, then you have uh, Kerry. And these two guys are very strong defensively, along with Kerry being able to score. So, you know, we've been talking defense. You can hand out a bunch of chains on that team, too, because that's how they play. And Kerry is the one leading them. And it's cool to see a kid from Solon doing that. Uh, and you know, sender off, I've always thought is one of the more underrated coaches in the Mac. And so it's because uh, when you look at, uh, by the way, uh, budgets that teams spend on basketball in the Mac and that they're usually near the bottom. They don't spend a ton, but they're always good and they have a lot of connections. And so uh, it's a it's a fun story on that. And Kerry was the one who sought out Kent State because he has some friends there. He was kind of homesick at Duquesne. And I think Duquesne lost a lot of kids uh, from their team a year ago. So that's, you know, sometimes that happens at a school, David, if a couple of kids decide to transfer, suddenly there's a stampede to the door with the way you could transfer now. And that happened at Duquesne. Yeah. And it's always uh, the teams build their rosters in different ways. And we've talked about Cleveland state with coach Gates going the JC route and bringing in junior college kids. The, the recruiting process these days, especially for basketball, you go through it as a high school kid and you pick a school, but like the relationships you build at other schools mm-hmm. along the way sometimes prove to be more important if you pick the wrong school or it's not a good fit, you're too far from home. Like those other relationships that maybe you turned a school down, I'm not saying that, that Sincere Carey did this to Kent State, but there's the relationships that you build just coming up through high school can really be important later on if you decide to go somewhere else and find a new Yeah, home. or you know somebody else on the coaching staff uh, there's a, a guy, Randall Holt, who uh, is an assistant uh, to played at Kent State, an assistant to send her off. Uh, they have a kid named Garcia on their team. Well, when Randall Holt was a younger assistant at Stony Brook, this kid Garcia was there. And so he now when he became a, I don't know, whether grad, it's hard to keep track, grad transfer or something. That's how he ends up at Kent, to your point. So the connections were there. The kids move. It's, and I bet the the last number I saw was a little over a year ago. That was before the COVID stuff. Was something like 42% of Division One players will play at at least two different schools in basketball. So it's probably higher now. 
Well, for sure. And, and we've seen it starting to happen in football, not quite as much, but basketball yeah. kind of set the trend there. So, all right, the Flashes have a couple of games uh, heading into the MAC tournament uh, tonight, Tuesday night. They're playing Northern Illinois in DeKalb. There you go. Well, on the, road. the other thing I wanted to mention is Case Western Reserve, Todd McGinnis's team, made the D3 uh, tournament for the first time in school history. So that's cool with them. You know, they're all future lawyers, Doc. They're all going to be all our bosses at one point at some, if we hang around long enough. Uh, they have one local kid, Hunter Deneth, who played at uh, Revere. Uh, he's coming off the bench. And I remember, I know his mom. His mom's actually an, uh, an eye doctor at Walmart in Fairlawn. So we talked about that. But she, his kid was, like, trying to decide between, like, Case and Yale and places like that. You know, that. so that's pretty cool. Talk about a no-lose situation, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Kent will finish up uh, the regular season on Friday against Buffalo before they head into the MAC tournament. So there we go. That's Kent. Terry, hey, Terry questions. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. This one is from Paul Wickles. He says, hey, Terry, I have no idea what kind of play caller Alex Van Pelt would be, but I do think Kevin Stefanski should give it up. Who would make that decision? Andrew Barry, the Haslam's? And... The answers well, are no, and no, and no, no, and no right. to the last two there. But uh, this has been an ongoing thread yeah. ever since Kevin Stefanski arrived. Like, why are you calling the plays? When are you going to give up calling the plays? Why doesn't AVP call the plays? Uh, it's not going to be Andrew Berry or the Haslam's that'll decide. But what do you think just in general about what they should do with this issue? Well, I mean, my feeling is probably next year they're going to come back as they as they were. And they'll see how it goes. Because remember, you could change in the middle of the season or anytime you want. By the way, the Haslam should not have any say on who calls plays. That's not their job. Now, that doesn't stop owners, but they should. And I don't think they will. Only in Dallas. Only in Dallas. (laughs) And we don't want a Jerry Jones wannabe here. We really don't. Yeah, I don't understand this fascination that Browns fans have with him giving up the play calling. I mean, you look around the league, how many coaches have won Super Bowls calling their own plays? Mm-hmm. Right? And if you have the guys and, and you have the Tom scheme, Payton like the- Andy, Andy, Andy Reid did, um, McVeigh does, uh, the guy that uh, was at Philadelphia, and I'm having, he just got hired at the, uh, Jacksonville, and I can't, he was, a back, he was a backup quarterback here with the Browns for a little while, the head coach from Philadelphia. Oh, D- uh, Doug Peterson. Peterson, he called plays when they won. So, it can be done. I think the problem is that here, when we saw it, whether it's Pat Shermer or Hugh Jackson, or um, I'm sure if I go back in my mind, there's been a couple other Chris Palmer. Uh, it just didn't work out. That's why. And it can be nothing worked out in those years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I'm sure this will keep on. And if the Browns fix their passing game and they start humming and get the ball down the field, scoring points, that. that'll go away. I think. But I sent that question over to you about who should make the decision. That should be between Barry and Stefanski. Absolutely. It's an on-field decision. And, you know, everybody's watched the draft day movie. It's like you build the roster, I coach the team. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it would be a discussion. But, yeah, it's going to be. And I think Kevin Stefanski has said, if it's time to give it up, I'll give it up. But I don't think that's the way to go right now. It's it's hard for those guys to give it up, David, because usually – they think part of the reason they got the job is the play calling. The play calling helped them rise up through the ranks, usually being some nondescript assistant to a quarterback coach, to an offensive coordinator, to a head coach. So it's hard for them to, you know, just hand it off. All right. Next question. Andrew Steele on Baker Mayfield. He says, Hey, Terry, you're better off going to get a veteran quarterback for half the money and drafting quarterbacks until you find one. Bottom line, it really sucks for everyone else on the team that are ready to win, but the Browns knew this all along. I don't think Baker fits on the Browns. He'll make it somewhere else maybe, but not here, not with that attitude. Well, how about this? Um, Mike Tannenbaum, who I respect, former uh, GM for the Jets and on ESPN a lot, and he he and Joe Banner put out a website I kind of like called 3013. Tannenbaum suggested, by the way, check that out. It's got some cool stuff there. Uh, 3013 is called. Um, it is good. He, he suggested that the Steelers sign Mitch Trubisky 
and draft a young quarterback. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, I could see that happening in Pittsburgh. And he brought up the stat of the day. In the last three years, throughout his rookie year, but the three years that Trubisky started, what was his record? He played 39 games. In the last three years? Yeah. The first year he was bad, but the last three years he started, 39 games, his record is? 20 and 19. 26 and 13. I even checked it. So you can't hang that win-loss record on on Trubisky. And I'll tell you why. And any Bears fan will tell you this. The defense was what was winning those games. And the defense was so frustrated because they weren't having – it's just like the Browns were here. And everybody's like, oh, Trubisky's a winner. He went, what, 12-4 and in his first season. Anybody who watched that season, I think the Browns finished against the Bears that year. And it was all the defense. The defense was Mm -hmm. pulling pulling down interceptions and sacking guys and – and given short fields to the offense. I mean, that was not Mitch Trubisky winning games. And uh, it still no, wasn't by the end. So anyway, it's an interesting idea, but I just, yeah. you have to look at what the guy does, how where he throws the ball, just his efficiency. Like the win-loss record is only the very tip of the iceberg, and there's a lot more there to talk about. That's just me. There's people We're who know not, way more I would, about I would not replace Baker with Mitch. So this is not about that. But okay. if I'm the Steelers, and I'm sitting there, and I got Mason Rudolph, and I'm going, you know, they did go 26 and 13 with the guy, even though the defense did most of it. Well, my defense could do most of it, and I'll bring this guy in. And remember, it's a two-part of the equation. The second part, you draft uh, like a, the kid from Cincinnati or somebody else uh, as as the younger quarterback, and you because you, you're you're transitioning. But I'm thinking that's the kind of guy the Steelers will probably go after. And they'll probably have another winning season because you just can't kill. They're like roaches. You just can't kill them all. (laughs) They always find a way. They always find a way. I do think that Mike Tomlin is going to make a hard push for Malik Willis out of Liberty. I think he wants a running quarterback who can run and throw. After watching Ben Roethlisberger and Mm -hmm. watching Lamar Jackson and watching some of these other quarterbacks around the league that that just can hurt you, you know, Justin Herbert out in, in uh, yeah, the Chargers. Sure. I mean, those are the guys that you lay awake at night if you're a defensive coordinator trying to think about how you're going to stop them. And I think Mike Tomlin wants one of those type of players. He could be in that Trubisky fits that because he's somewhat mobile. He is. He's a good runner. But, uh, boy, that's that's an interesting equation in Pittsburgh. Uh, remember, this is – and he's thinking – a way to do this where you don't, you know, where you don't break your bank for the veteran, but you don't just say, we're going to just play the kid right away. Cause you're the Steelers and you don't have a losing season. I mean, that's kind of how it is. And you know how the Steelers work. Everything is built from the line out and yep. they're going to, they're going to beef up those be lines. It would, it would be, but you know, for the Browns, I, by the way, I, you know, I keep getting these emails with it. You know, they should just draft a rookie and play that behind Baker. No, no, no. This is, um, this is a tight window here. I mean, I want to, I want to go for a win. You know, whether it was with Baker or, or or another veteran. And I, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting hopping on that that tricycle about Case Keenum, but I, I can't resist it. <laughs> Had he just played those two Steeler games, they'd be in the playoffs. Dude, your T-shirt is on the way. It's going to say that right on the front. Why didn't you play case? So, all right, Terry, we're going to wrap it up here. We've got a a Terry's trivia question. So it's a couple of interesting stats to set this up. The Cavs are 11 and four this season when Evan Mobley has a double double. All right. He's also got 87 blocked shots. This was before last night's game. I didn't add last night. Sorry about that. Last night too. So he's up to 89. He had two last night. I just know he had a couple. I don't know. All right, so that is the most by a Cavs rookie since 1997-98, which was Adrunas Ilgauskas, who had 135. And that got me thinking about the top 10 Cavs blockers for a mm-hmm. single for a single season. So you can be on the list more than once because if you had two or three seasons where you blocked a lot of shots, you can be on this top 10 list because it's most blocks in a season. Yes. There's one guy, a Cav, who is on the Cavs' top 10 list for most blocks in a season. 
who do you think that guy is? And then there's another guy who has three. So one guy has four appearances in the top ten. I'm saying Hot Rod Williams. Hot Rod Williams is a great guess. He has three. He's the guy with three. So Hot Rod. Hot Rod finished. Hot Rod had the sixth most blocks in a season in 91-92. And he has the ninth most for 86-87. And he also has the tenth most for 89-90. So you got one of the guys. So who's the guy who has four? Was it Nance? Larry Nance. Yes, it was. Larry Nance has. I debate between the two of them. That was in my mind. Yeah. So those guys combined have seven. So Larry Nance is number one, number two, number four, and number five. In and for number one in 91-92, he blocked 243 shots in 81 games. That's three a game. That's incredible. Yeah, was, you don't think of him as a shot blocker, like you, you think. Yeah, I do because I cover the I cover them, and they used to do this thing, which actually I didn't like it a whole lot. They kind of. Uh, let people uh, instead of following them into to the middle, they kind of let them take baseline with some of their defensive stuff because they thought Nance could get them from the blind side or whatever like that for blocks. So it did create a lot of blocks, but I I thought it hurt him in some other way. So I'm so he I'm was like an eraser. He would wait for, he would wait for guys to come down the baseline, and then he he was like an eraser type yeah, player. Eraser, you got him, yeah, okay. And Hot Rod too. They had the two of them together often. So that was it. And uh, but yeah, he was he was really I mean Z was very good too. Uh but those two guys were were, were terrific and um Yeah, so know, the top, I no read, to, let me, no let me read you the top ten real quick. Let me read you the top ten real quick, yeah, Terry, and then do. you can jump back in. So Larry Nance, Larry Nance, Z at number three, Larry Nance again, Larry Nance again at number five, hot rod at six, Elmore Smith at seven mm. in 1977-78, Roy Hinson, number eight. Really? He had 173 blocks in 1984-85, and then Hot Rod 9 and Hot Rod 10. So, Well, I covered 84-85 also, so with Henson. And, well, he, he, you know what's a shame? He had a chance to really uh, be a, a good player for a long time. He developed a degenerate knee, and they, they tried all the stuff for the new, to create new cartilage and that, and it just didn't work. Ter- terrific guy. I think he's worked a lot for, like, the uh, – NBA Veteran Players Association or something like that. But um, he had, a sh- you know, they was traded for Brad Doherty. It was a great trade for the Cavs. But he had a chance to be pretty good for quite a while, but the knee thing. Yeah, you always think about how sad it is that guys, w- whatever age they're in, like what the technology of 20 years after them might have done to help save yeah. their careers. And it's it's something to think about. But, hey, you, you play when you play, and that's all you can do. So I wouldn't have guessed Henson. That was a good one, too. Yeah. Well, good job. You got you got the two guys with the most. So, all right, Terry, anything else coming up uh, you want to mention? Any book no, things coming it. up? They, people can visit terrypluto.com. To yes, and buy all my buy books books. all the time, day or night. <laughs> 24-7, 365. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, if you want to get a question on the podcast, uh, we will be doing that every week. You can send it to sports at cleveland.com and you can put hey terry in the subject line or you can catch terry on his facebook page and just put it up there on his wall and we will try and get it on to next week's podcast terry thanks we ran a little long not too bad though and uh thanks everybody for listening we're having a lot of fun we hope you are too and we will catch you next week on terry's talking